Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to uh, this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Show. Uh, Jeff Lerner here, excited to be here for another great episode. We have uh, a really, really exciting person in the studio, which basically means we're in our home offices, uh, connected virtually. But uh, Jay Adkins, who's with us today, is uh, I've, I've been reading up on him. I've been lightly stalking him from afar and getting to know him remotely. And just a fascinating individual who I'm, I'm really stoked to have on today. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the tagline reads from bullied kid to multimillionaire insurance agency owner and trainer. And, you know, taglines are cool, but we know there's so much more behind them. And that's why, uh, why we do this show. So, Jay, welcome. Welcome, man. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, man. I'm humbled to be on your show, man. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, uh, and just to set the stage, I, you know, I don't know if you've been able to hear the show before, but reading your bio... Uh, I can tell you already, it's just a natural fit. I'm, I'm ecstatic that you're here. You know, my mission for this show is to inspire, empower, and inform people about like how, how the little guy can really pull it off in the world. You know, there's a, we, we, you know, I think the TV shows us all these icons of business and entrepreneurial success and obviously the wealth and the opulence and we all have social media envy you know, <laughs> nowadays, but the reality is there are guys that start from nothing or, or with very little or, or, you know, challenging circumstances and they, and they reach the top of the hill, you know, it's not just a pipe dream. And, and that's the, the goal of this show is to bring those people to the forefront. And you are absolutely, from what I can tell, one of those guys. Yeah, I am. And, and I, I guess I could start with my story a little bit just to kind of give that a little bit of credibility. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, I, I recently went to a Tony Robbins event um, because I am in the speaking business and the conference business, the coaching business. And, you know, one of the questions that Tony starts off the conference with is, um, what business are you in? And then I want you to really question yourself of what business are you really in? And it's a deep question, and, and through that process, what I've realized coming from absolutely nothing and having the upbringing of basically always wanting things but can never have them because we didn't have enough money was I'm in the business of helping people realize what they're capable of and what they have within them that they don't even know themselves exist because we're all capable of much, much more in our lives. And I'm living proof of that. I came from absolutely nothing. Nobody in my family has ever made money. No one in my family has ever been out of the state or the city that I grew up in. Mm. And I grew up with nothing. And, uh, you know, when I was 12 years old, I was taking brown paper bags to school and eating bologna, warm bologna sandwich that sat in my locker for three hours before lunch. And then, you know, all my friends are eating the school pizza, which, you know, now is disgusting, but then was amazing. You know, it was like one of the best things ever. Right. And, you know, I had the four stripe Bobo uh, from Kmart. Um, if, if anybody out here is my age, they'll understand what a Bobo is. That's a fake Adidas. Um, so I couldn't afford the real ones. My dad went to Kmart and got the four stripes and the rustler jeans. So I didn't have Jordash and Levi's and all those other things. And I had to find a way when I was young to be able to afford those things so that I would possibly stop getting bullied but kids don't forget right even when you're making money and you're wearing the cool jeans you're wearing the cool shoes they don't forget they continue to bully you all the way through high school and 
one of the things I figured out is a way to stop getting bullied is to be successful. And so that was just always a driving force for me in my life. And then I decided to join the military and I went in the Air Force. And, you know, I learned a lot about um, the uh, chain of command and respecting people, but that's about it. I didn't learn much else because there you get paid the same as everybody else to do the same or less or more work than everyone else. So there's not really an entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial mentality or attitude in the military. And um, as soon as I got deployed to Dahran, Saudi Arabia, and basically got put in prison for nine months because I didn't have control of how I wanted to go or not, I was like, yeah, no, I don't really feel like going. They're like, no, no, you, that's what you signed up for, my friend. Uh, you're going to go here and you're going to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And um, it just made me realize that I wanted to control my life. And that's uh, what I did. I, I started my own business and started controlling my own life. I lived in my car for, for three months when I started my business and faked it to all my employees that they, uh, they thought I had money um, mm. and I had no money. I was in debt, credit cards, and the only thing I could do is pay my payroll through credit cards. And so I know if I can do it coming from that upbringing, that's why I'm inspired to help so many other people is because if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I'm even a college graduate. So I have three years of college and then I had a child and I got out and I had to support that child. So all of my education, if you look on my desk right now, I've got 15 books. Um, I'm an incessant reader and I didn't used to be that way, but I read probably 90 to 100 pages every single day of my life, usually 45 in the morning, 45 when I go to sleep. And that's really been my college, which I truly believe is a better college than any college you go to. Not that you shouldn't go to college, but I've learned more in the last 15 years and I could have, you know, getting a PhD. <clears throat> well, you know, you, you just said so many mouthfuls, so, so much to, to, to latch onto and want to ask more about. I'm, I'm like reeling with, with questions right now, but first of all, just congratulations on, on your success. I mean, uh, Thank you. It, it, it's extraordinary. Yeah. To, to come from, you know, and I don't know all the details, but I mean, even myself, I can't say that I grew up, you know, if I wanted Adidas, my parents could get me Adidas. Like, I, you know, it wasn't that bad or that hard. Uh, but I suspect, you know, and I switched the word bad from hard. I didn't mean to say it was bad. I just meant it was hard because I suspected actually, in a lot of ways, that was good. You know, the, the stamina, and the fortitude and the persistence and knowing what you didn't want. Yeah. So, so that's what I always tell everyone is everything in life that seems bad is always a blessing. Hmm. always in the moment it might suck but what you do is you go into a solution mode and figure out like the bullying was terrible right I mean I felt bad about myself and thank god social media didn't exist then because it would have been even worse right people would have yeah. been taking pictures and posting it and making fun of me and you know and and when you're a kid and you're being domesticated as a human being of what's right what's wrong you know you those things affect you and the way that it affected me is it, it gave me drive and the fact that my father, you know, said we didn't have made me an entrepreneur and made me at 12 years old, get a paper out, mow yards, shovel sidewalks, be a caddy at a golf course at 14 years old, being a busboy in an Italian restaurant illegally because I talked the guy into it. And then I made money on the side from the, the tables because I had a personality and I was super nice to everybody and got them whatever they wanted. And the waiter was slow. I was fast. You know, so it did teach me a lot. And I think that's where people focus on being a martyr or a victim 
where if you just focus on, hey, this is the problem right now, how do I overcome it? Because there are people out there that will. And the unique thing about the people that do are about 1%. You know, so the top is completely empty. And I figured that out really quickly, that you just have to do a little bit more and you'll be at the top because most of the people are just on the bottom complaining, you know, I can't believe it's this way. And they're not willing to do exactly what it takes. Like you said, being consistent, being relentless, being focused on what you want. And it's not just about material things, right? It's about, you know, you, you see the family behind me. Like now it's about them. Now it's about the financial freedom. Now it's about me being able to spend time with them. And that's what's important to me now. But you have to figure out what your why and what your drive is in life and what you want. And back then, it was to not be bullied. You know, now it's to help people and it's help people realize that you can have anything you want in your life. It just depends on what you're willing to do to get it. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes except for sacrifice my family. That's the only thing that I will not sacrifice, but I will sacrifice my time, my effort, my energy to help people become something that they can become. And I'm thankful for the way that my father raised me uh, and, you know, he always said, and I haven't heard this in a long time, it just popped in my head, you know, you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. And, you know, now that I look back on that, I'm kind of glad that I try to keep up with the Joneses, because if not, you know, I would, I would maybe be in that bottom 99% of people that are just like, ah, eh, it's enough. It's okay. I wouldn't be in a position now where I get so much fulfillment out of others. You know, as, as you were saying that, I just had this like, idea in my mind this this I don't know if it's a saying or what but it's like in life you either envy the Joneses or you are the Joneses or you rent the Joneses their house <laughs> yeah I, I want to be the Joneses landlord right yes yeah so, so yeah I have I have uh, again so many many questions because you, you know it's you say those words and they're inspiring words and they're words that speak to the equal opportunity nature of 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 opportunity right of, of this possibility i mean any, it's right there anybody can seize it you seized it you were you were poor you were working all these jobs you you know you didn't have any advantages and you seized it and it's like anybody can very, you know not everyone does but before we get into you know why and how i just kind of want to set up for context so this is you know a few minutes here for you you can kind of like toot your own horn because i i genuinely want to know so you own like six different insurance agencies is that right Six locations in three different states, yes. In three different states, okay. Um, and from looking at your bio, it sounds like you've won just about every award that your insurance carrier has to give out to top producers. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but I will tell you, though, that that has everything to do with my team, right? I mean, okay. I can lead them, but they're the ones that are actually executing on, on the processes. And so, you know, You'll, you'll find I don't really take credit for much. You know, people will thank me for introducing them to certain things. I'm like, well, you are the one that actually took the action to actually mm -hmm. make it come to fruition. So all of my success is, is it's all to do with other folks that come in and vision, believe in themselves and are able to execute on the ideas or the processes or the systems that I teach them. So yes, my agencies have won that, but that has everything to do with everyone that I've surrounded myself with. So I have no doubt that's true. I always think of Steve Jobs, you know, they asked him of all of his major accomplishments, you know, the iPhone and, you know, whatever, Pixar animation or, you know, Toy Story, the movie and all the big things that Steve Jobs accomplished in his life, what he was most proud of. And he, and he said, my teams, 
it wasn't a product or, or, you know, it was just the people. Right. And, and I think that's a, that's an innate and intelligent recognition of good leadership and it's reflective of good leadership, but also there are skills that you develop that allow you to attract, retain and inspire great people to do great work within, you know, an organization where it's like Richard Branson says, you want to, you want to, empower your people to be so good that they don't actually need you anymore, but treat them so well that they never want to leave. Right. And clearly you've done that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll just take at least a little of the credit for that much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, people, they, the thing is, is if people know you care about them, mm. they'll, they'll do anything for you. If they know that you really genuinely authentically want them to be successful then they're, they're willing to follow your vision. And that's what I've realized at a very, very young age and being an, and one of the things I didn't say that I did, which is a very interesting part of my story is I actually managed waffle houses uh, when I was 22 years old, which was a great experience, but the worst experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because just managing a 24 hour restaurant, 365 days a year that never shut down, mm-hmm. Um, never, no holidays, no vacations, working six, seven days a week. Sometimes, uh, it teaches you a lot about appreciation for what life really is after you get out of that. So, you know, again, I learned a lot through those, even the people that were working in the restaurant is if you care about those people and you try to get them promoted and you try to teach them and you care about their families, they'll do anything for you. And if you, if you care more about the success of other folks in your life, your success is inevitable. It'll happen every single day of the week because people will care about you and they'll want to, they'll want to follow your vision and your dreams. And, and they also are realizing theirs, right? Because most people are so self-centered and egocentric that they only really care about themselves and what they want out of their life. And when you start to show people you care, then, then that's when you really start to climb the ladder of success mm. and people are going to lift you up, push you up and be excited to be a part of it. You know, that, that sounds like such a cliche, but I have lived the exact same truth. I mean, my experience confirms what you're saying. And I think it's so important for people to really hear that because particularly when you're, you're in what feels like a place of need, you know, I say po- poverty is the most selfish thing in the world, right? Like you, it's all about you because you can't frankly afford it to not be, or so it feels. Yep. But well, and you, what... And- no, go ahead. No, just when you say that, when you're in need, you're in disparity, right? And disparity is never a good place to be, right? When you're in disparity, everyone feels you're desperate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's to never get to that desperate point. But if you are desperate, then in order to eliminate or erase disparity, you have to take action and you have to take, you know, intentional action towards what you want to accomplish without disparity. And that's a tough thing to do. Right, because everyone can sense and feel yeah. disparity. I mean, you could sense disparity at the end of a game when you're down ten points. You know, you can you and and you really know if the team is focused because they come back and they're able to win, tie, or get close to winning the game. Or if they're desperate, that's when you start to see the team fall apart. Yeah, and that's so, that's. Go ahead. No, no, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I just I want to ask, um, and I I agree. Yeah, I mean, despair is like it's the. But I, I, actually, I do want to. I do want to say, I, I, despair. I do believe is always a little bit of a choice, because you can be in a place. Uh, you can be behind. You can be in a place of of lack or per, or perceived need. 
but you still don't have to despair. Despair is a little bit of like a throwing up your hands aspect to it, right? Like you always are in, you know, you can, you can always control what you can control. And the most efficient, and I say, you know, I get a lot of, of direct messages. I'm sure you do too with, a, with the public format that you have with the podcast and the social media presence. Nowadays, I'm sure you get hit up by people that are like, well, here's my problem. Here's my situation. What do I do? What advice do you give? And it's always the same. It's figure out what you can control and focus on that. And, and if you're despairing, it's probably because you're, you're fixated on things that you can't control. Correct. Right. Yeah, and I think that's because people live in the past and the future way too much. Right? Mm-hmm. They're never, the, the, the reason they're desperate is because they're desperate because of their fear of the future or they're desperate because of the regret of the past. You know, so, so that's what creates disparities because they're not right here in this moment taking action. Right? Yeah. If you're in this moment taking action, you can't live in the past and, and have regret over what you didn't do or the failures that you had. Or if you're not living in the future and being like, oh my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? Then you're not going to have fear, right? The only thing that removes fear is action. That's it. If you're, if you're fearful of something, if you just take freaking massive action and you just jump into it, all the fear is gone, right? I mean, it's like I, I saw something on Instagram the other day. There was a little pony in a barn and it had like a, a six inch step. And he was just like prancing around, prancing around, prancing around, prancing around. And then all of a sudden he jumped off the thing and he was like so happy. He was like, you know, because it looked like it was far to this little pony that was just born, right? And he overthought it. You know, and that's what we do. We overthink everything that we do, which creates fear instead of just saying, I'm going to go do it. And what happens if you fail? Who cares? You learn something. You learn what not to do. You learn how to do it better next time. So I think this disparity comes from past and future. Because we were regretful and we're like, oh God, if I did, this doesn't go through, it's going to be just like last time. Oh my God. Uh, and then if we're in the future, we're like, man, what if it goes like this? What if it goes like that? And we all know that 98% of whatever we fear never happens ever, mm-hmm. never, ever comes to fruition. Like all, all the, you know, the media about COVID, you know, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people that are going to die from this, right? All the stuff is being put into our heads, right? And we wake up every day, God, what if I get COVID? I'm going to die. What if I get COVID? I'm going to die. You know I mean? That that's the space that you live in. And then it, you know, for me right now, man, I've had the gas pedal down. Like everyone's distracted. Mm-hmm. They're distracted by what's going on with COVID and the economy. And I'm like, this is, this is when true leaders are born right now. When you, when everyone's focused over here, I'm focused straight ahead and I'm going to, my business has grown by 50%. It's going to grow by a thousand percent in the next three months because everyone else wants to have a conversation about COVID. And I'm not having a conversation about COVID. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to do the right thing. But I'm not going to get in a conversation that's 15 minutes long about what the government should do about COVID or what I should do about COVID or, you know, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? So, again, that's where I think people need to focus and not get desperate. And that's what, you know, oh, my God, my business has been shut down for two months. What can you do to make money in your business? What can you do? There's a way. There's a solution. Oh, I can only do curbside. Well, how, how do you market that business more where you can get a line of people at your curbside, right? People should be lined up at your curbside. This is what we're doing to keep people safe, right? I may find a way to get people out the street, down the street, eating your food the same as they'd be sitting in your restaurant. There's a way. Talk yeah. to Postmates, reduce your price, take a little cut, less profit. Maybe you make 20% less, but you're still in business. And that's what people don't think, right? They just want to, I mean, I see now some restaurants closed, retail stores closed. That, that aren't out of business, but they're just not sure. Like, I'm like, you guys are complaining about now it's, you're able to be open, like find a way. 
And that's what success is about. That's what drive is about is find a way. Stop thinking how you can't do it. Think how you can do it. And how can I be different? You know, it's funny. Yeah, the, the COVID thing. I mean, I, I've been on I feel like I've been on a rant for the last three months just like saying, people, come on, like control what you can control. It's the same thing. Control what you can control. Ignore what you can't. That's called self-efficacy. It's like don't waste time trying to, you know, get other people to do things. You, you don't control them. And then, you know, whatever protective measures you're going to take, I mean, that, can, that takes five minutes. Like if, if, you, if you have somebody in your family that's immune compromised, get them a mask and then, and, and a bunch of hand sanitizer and then like move on, right? We don't need to, like you say, spend hundreds of hours wallowing in it, right? And then, yeah, and it is funny because I mean, ditto, ditto for my business. It's like, I've had the best three month stretch in years, the last three months. And, and some of that is timing and placement, but a lot of it is just intention. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and, evo- okay. and evolution. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, we've had to reinvent. I mean, we were supposed to hold an event this year. Yep. So you we know. were supposed to have two. Yeah. So now, there, now there's virtual, right? Now I mean, there's, there's a way There's a way to do it. There's always a way to do everything. And you got to just let, you know, you got to pay attention to the universe and say, what can we change? Maybe we're antiquated. Maybe we could do it differently. Maybe we could do it better. Maybe we could do it more efficiently. Maybe we could do it more cost effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we can impact more lives because people don't have to get on planes. They don't have to rent hotel rooms. They don't have to, you know, so if I could reduce that cost for them and do this and I still can get, if I can double or triple or quadruple my attendance yeah. and I don't have to leave my own house, I don't have to leave my four kids, I don't have to leave my two kids, right? That's what people, they don't think that way. They just think, oh man, it's not like it used to be. Man, that sucks. God, I mean, I wish it was like it used to be. Like, dude, I mean, this is, this is the thing, man. I, I think one of the things that I realized a long time ago um, is I used to wake up with anxiety. I used to wake up with stress every single day. I had multiple businesses running like I do now. And I was super stressed about every day and like make sure I could get everything done. And I realized I was stressed about certainty. I wanted everything certain in my life. I wanted my business to be stable. I wanted my family to be healthy. I wanted me to be healthy. And one of the things I realized is there is no such thing as certainty. And if right now, if COVID hasn't expressed to every single person on the planet that there is no such thing as certainty in your life. I mean, no one thought in January and New Year's Eve that we would have our economy and our businesses and everything changed in three months. Right. And the last three months were shut down. So like certainty is, uncertainty is actually a good thing because it makes you grow. It keeps you on your toes. Like right now, the people that are going to thrive are going to be the people that said, Hmm, we got to change. We got to evolve. And that's what you should be doing anyways, is constantly evolving your business, your mentality, your mindset by reading and educating yourself because certainty will never, ever exist. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in business tomorrow. I mean, you know, Blockbuster, Blockbuster is, mm-hmm. they, they had certainty. They, we got a wrap, you know, right. no, no one's going to put us up. We've got stores in every single city. Every Friday night, our stores are packed. People are renting. We're charging all kinds of late fees. And then Netflix came along and Netflix tried to buy them. They're like, nah, forget you, man. We, we got this thing down. No one's going to just order them online and have them shipped to their house and not pay late fees. And look where Blockbuster is. Circuit City, if you read, you know, Good to Great. It's one of the companies he talks about in Good to Great of being one of the companies that grew the most and their stock market went up the most. And where are they? Yeah, no way. Done. Yeah. Because they didn't evolve. They didn't grow. 
They didn't grow how they did business. And you know, even though that was a great company then, today is you have to ask yourself, do you have a great company? And I think you know, these things apply to life, your family life, everything. Like, I wanna be a better father every single day. I wanna grow. I wanna, I wanna be the best father on the planet for my daughter. You know, the best businessman, the best whatever you do. Like, why only give 50%? Give 100% in everything you're doing. And that's the only way that you're gonna create some kind of certainty in your life is to give 100% of what you do every single day in whatever moment, with your wife, with your daughter, with your friends, whatever you're doing, go all in. Bet on yourself, go all in and give yourself. You know, you're making me think of this, uh, this thing that happened to me this morning. And, and, and first of all, thank you for being a stand for excellence and this all-in way of living. It's, I feel like my entire, you know, I, I used to think I taught people how to start a business. I, I really realized, like you're saying, know, knowing what your real business is, the business, you know, the truth beneath the business. And, and I really look at it now as like I teach people to be an entrepreneur as a mechanism to try to, uh, you know, create resources and opportunity to be excellent in their life. It's really empowering excellence uh, is kind of my mission. And so I appreciate so much when I meet somebody that's like sort of unapologetic. It's like, listen, you want certainty to some degree. That means you got to be the best. You know, Michael Jordan had, had as as close to certainty as you can have that he was going to win the ring or win the, the trophy because he was the best. It wasn't because he was okay and he was hoping to get lucky, right? Well, he did the work. He did the work. He had the right mind. I mean, it takes a lot, right? It takes talent. It takes mindset. You know, it it takes leadership, being able to lead your team and and Mm -hmm. giving them, you know, when you're you're getting beat and you're down and everyone's like, oh, man. And, you know, you have a guy that's like, all right, come on, jump on. Let's go. Like, are you that person? Are you the person that's going to let everyone jump on your back in the moment when everyone wants to give up or when everyone thinks they're defeated? And that's, I think, what true leadership is. And he, man, Michael Jordan, I watched him as a kid growing up and watching The Last Dance and actually getting mm-hmm. inside of his head and what made him tick is truly what success is all about. Like he, you know, even the games, the mind games, he would play with himself just to, you know, to win the next game. Be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I remember, I think it was DJ uh, Armstrong was like, nice game. And, you know, he communicated that as, oh, nice game. Okay, we'll see what happens the next game, right? And he was just saying nice game to be right. politically correct and like, you know, have, have sportsmanship. And, you know, it's just it, it, whatever makes you tick, whatever is going to, to drive you is, and, you know, you talk about excellence. I mean, that, that is something that I think is what we are lacking in our world. And that's something, I mean, I don't care what it is. I always tell, you know, I have, I have four core values that I teach people and it's an acronym and it's, it's, it's feet because feet take us, everywhere we want to go without feet we're in a wheelchair and the wheels are taking us somewhere so your feet take you everywhere and the first one and feet is um sorry fun thank you fun. Um, all right I, I, I had another thought that i was thinking about around excellence but yeah so f for fun um have fun in everything you do like i mean everything you touch have fun um if not it's not worth doing mm-hmm. and then the other e is excellence I mean, do everything with excellence. I mean, the way you dress, the way you go out in public, the way you talk, the way you read. Like, if you're going to read, read. Like, digest everything. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is evolution, right? My father has not evolved. He has not evolved one bit. He still has a flip phone. 
He doesn't have a computer. He doesn't know what Google is. Like I can't FaceTime him. I can't have these conversations with him because he just is stuck in the eighties and he mm -hmm. hasn't evolved. And I will always evolve. If I'm 90 years old, I'm going to have the top technology and T trust the process. Trust the process of failure because failure is part of the process. I mean, no one is successful in their life if they don't fail. No one. There's not a single person on this planet that is successful without having massive, massive failure. You've had it. I've had it. It just happens. Yeah. So I'm glad you talk about excellence. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I mean, I have my, uh, my core beliefs document from my, my company right here. And you can see our mission statement is empowering people to achieve physical, personal, and professional excellence through entrepreneurial education. It's not about starting a business. It's about achieving excellence in the three primary categories of life through entrepreneurial education. That's just my delivery mechanism, right? Yep. I could just as easily be teaching people how to perform heart surgery or, or any mechanism. It's the, the point is, to your point, if you're excellent and you trust the process that over time excellence is rewarded, that's actually the closest thing to the real certainty that people are craving. They're yeah. creating like an artifice of certainty. Like, oh, certainty is this certain arrangement of the, the blocks on the board that guarantees me something. That's, there's no guarantee. Excellence compounding over time, that's the only certainty we can control. Yeah, right. and you know, it's, it's funny when you say certainty or, you know, people have expectations. Um, and, you know, this is another thing that I learned uh, through marriage. And expectations um, are, they are kryptonite in a relationship and they're kryptonite um, in your, your life. And what I mean by that is there's only two people that you can have expectations from. Only two. That's somebody that you're paying money because that's a contract. So if I have an employee... I can have expectations that they do their job. Mm. If someone's washing my car, mowing my yard, whatever, I've paid, if I go to get a $50 filet at Ruth Chris, you know, I can get it at 15 at Whole Foods. So I'm paying for the service. So I should get good service. I should, right. It should be hot. It should be delivered to my table. And the other, the other person that you can have expectations from is you. And the crazy, crazy thing about expectations is when we're with our spouse or with our friends or we, you know, we text a friend and it takes 20 minutes to text back. We're like, damn, what's taking him so long to text me back? Like, man, you, I mean, am I not a priority? I think, you know, what, what, what's going on? So when someone doesn't fulfill or read our mind, because that's what expectations are, right? That you should be psychic and understand what I expect. Mm -hmm. We give it meaning. And like, you know, you come, you had a busy day and you don't give your wife a kiss in the right way or it's too quick or whatever. And then she starts to give it meaning. So, but the crazy thing about expectations when we should have expectations of ourself is when we let ourselves down, we're not as angry. We don't get upset. When we make promises to ourselves, like I'm going to eat better, I'm going to work out, I'm going to do more of my business, I'm going to read more. All of these things that we say in our subconscious that we don't tell a single soul on the planet about, it's just a promise that we kept to ourselves. It's a lot easier to let ourselves down. So if we tell everyone, if you want to really be successful out of this podcast, I'm going to tell you, implement this in your life right now. Every single expectation that you have of yourself, tell everyone. Tell everyone what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish. And I will tell you, one of the things I would come home and, you know, I would be with my daughter at seven o'clock at night and I'd be on my phone and at two years old, she'd be like annoyed, right? She wanted my attention. Mm -hmm. And I finally made a decision to myself. 
I'm going to, when I get home, I'm going to put my phone in my drawer and I'm not going to touch it till eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to be with my family. I couldn't do it. My phone would pull me in, social media would pull me in, my job would pull me in. And finally I said, you know what, I'm going to tell my wife. When I get home, 7.30, I'm not going to touch my phone until 8 o'clock in the morning. And if, I, if you see me on my phone, tell me. Mm-hmm. And now I can't get mad at her when she's like, babe, why are you on your phone? So now I've stuck with that for like six months and I'm not on my phone at night. And if you do that with all the promises that you make to yourself and all the expectations you have of yourself, and if you don't have expectations of anybody, because if you have expectations, this is what I'll tell you, Jeff, you're going to be let down every single time because nobody is going to ever live up to your expectations. Your wife, your kids, nobody. Because guess what? I don't pay my wife money. Right. I don't pay my kids money. Right. You, you know, I, uh, I, I love that. I, I hope that everybody just clicked with, a, with an important lesson here, which is, you know, six months ago, you were already a wildly successful person. You'd already won most of those, maybe all those awards. You already had the, 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 the agencies, you already had the training business, you already had the pot, like, but you still found a way to get better six months ago. With, oh, every day. Yeah, with this phone thing, right? You're like, this is something I need to do to get a little bit closer to the line of perfect. Knowing probably that you'll never actually reach that line, but it's like, I can get closer. I can get closer, right? And that's, that's one of the hallmarks of people I find is that they're always improving, they're just, all, they're never satisfied and they're always improving. And that behavior, I believe, started long before the success came. I think a lot of people have this idea that like, well, once things get good, then I can get great. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, you know, so that's, that's the reason I started the podcast, The Success Paradigm is because, you know, I wanted to interview people because I think what we all see is the glory and we never see the story. Mm. We never see what it took to actually get there. We, didn't, we don't know what the ingredients were that actually got that person there. And I love to ask questions. I love being in your shoes and asking questions like mm. you, you are. I mean, I love being in the other position because I love to learn. And I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And so interviewing all these super successful people and asking them like, what was your biggest failure? And how did you turn that failure into success? Like, what were you thinking when you were going through that failing moment? Like when you just want to give up, because we all want to give up just about every day. I mean, if we're really authentic with ourselves, when something goes wrong, we're just like, man, what am I doing? This is just too much work. Like, why am I, why am I sacrificing my family? I mean, you know, we have a subconscious mind that's constantly got a record playing and talking and telling us all these negative things that you got to just like shut up shut up. Like I, I am going to do this. Right. I mean, we, you know, we see people in public talking to themselves. They're just doing it out loud. We do it all day long. We're having conversations with ourselves all day long. And so that's, that's what I think is the key is ask more questions, ask better questions. Like if you see somebody successful like yourself, like go up to Jeff and ask him questions. Be like, man, how'd you do it? Like, How'd you get it started? Like, man, you got a podcast. Like, where did you start? How'd you get started? Like, if that's what you want to do, like whatever you want to learn from somebody, mm-hmm. just ask questions, man. People will answer your questions because we love, people love to help people. And talking and giving knowledge is easy, man. It's free, right? I mean, and this is the thing. If you are out there listening and you're afraid to keep things, you know, you, you want to keep things to yourself because you're afraid that you, someone's going to take your idea. This is what I will tell you. 
99.9% of the people that you tell something will never, ever execute. And that's the challenge if you're listening. Most people can have all the, I mean, listen, you can go to Barnes and Nobles and get every book on every single subject ever possible. And still only 1% of the entire world is successful. That's because nobody executes. So if you hear that and you're like, I'm going to go to the next, I'm going to go to Jeff's next seminar and I'm going to execute on every single thing that he teaches me. No, you won't. <laughs> but that's a challenge because right. if you do, that's how you're going to have success. Like you, my friend, because you oh, execute. Hopefully you'll just execute on one thing you'll learn. One, right? one thing would be great, but don't be, don't be afraid to share. The point behind that is just share, man, share your information and help lift people up. If you help lift people up, then you know, when you want to be a billionaire and you go ask that billionaire, the universe is full of karma, man. If you help people, the other people will help you and they're going to answer your questions. So, but, and, and I have found that the more successful people are, the more excited they are to, to share as long as you respect their time. Yes. You know, that's the qualifier. If you go ask up, good like, questions, yeah, ask good questions, be sincere, exchange value. If you have it, whatever you have to offer, be yep. willing to change it, reciprocate, but um, be prepared. Mm -hmm. So, so let me, uh, let, let me ask you this. So you're in, and, and I know that you have a training business and you, you have, you teach, you don't just, you know, run an operation that sells insurance. You also train people that have operations that sell insurance. You also train them on how to market their operations to sell insurance. I, I don't, I won't pretend to know everything you do, but but clearly you've, you've embraced the education and coaching aspect, not just the transactional aspect, but, but let me ask just about the transactional part of your business. You have six offices in three states that sell insurance, right? Yes. That is to some degree a commodity business. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about it, but I have to assume that roughly what I can get from Allstate, I can get from farmers, I can get from State Farm. And certainly, working at one Allstate, I have access to all the same products and all the same systems as working at another Allstate, right? And so, you're in a business where it seems like churn and competition could be an issue because the product itself doesn't stand out from other purveyors of the same product. And yet, Describing your organization, you've built extremely loyal, driven teams. What would you say is your secret or secrets to creating loyalty and attachment and maybe brand strength, I don't know, in an industry that's sort of fundamentally a commodity? Yeah, that's a great perspective. And uh, one of the things that I talked about earlier is you know, I don't, you know, there's 170,000 insurance agents in the United States of America. Wow. 170,000, right? There's not, there's not that much of anything um, yeah. in, in the United States as far as in a competition, right? Because I'm a truly competitive, even against my own brand, yeah. right, to get those customers. And building value is really, really important because it is a commodity, but also making sure that I'm educating my customer on what could happen. Um, and I, you know, what, one of the things that we talk about is there's, you know, we're the most important professional in people's lives. 
And people don't lead with the business that way. Most people, my counterparts don't lead with the business that way. And the reason we're the most important professional over anybody is because I protect the assets you've worked really, really hard for to make sure you don't have financial devastation. Because if you don't have the right coverage and you get sued or you have a bad accident and you kill somebody or hurt somebody, like if you don't have the right coverage and someone hasn't taken the time to have a conversation with you about what you really need individually, because everyone's different. There's their financial situation is different. You know, what, what they have at risk is different. You know, the type of car they're driving is different. The type of house they live in is different. The type of neighborhood they live in is different. So we, we really get to know our customers. And then also the other thing we do is protect you from not having enough money to retire. So we want to make sure that we are educating you to thrive in retirement instead of just survive in retirement. So I, I think our approach to our customer is way different and it's not a commodity because we build value in our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't really feel like I have competition because everyone is just looking at every customer as a number versus as a client. And if I can take care of this client and I, and I give him the best possible experience he's ever had in any business dealing, not just insurance, but better than buying a car, buying a house, going to a restaurant, going to the mall, going to Nordstrom's, going to New Marcus, going to Four Seasons. If my experience in him buying insurance, which is super boring, right? Nobody really wants to talk about insurance. It's just a boring subject. Like, just give me my coverage. It's a promise. I'm not walking out the door with a house, a car, shoes. It's not tangible, right? So if I can make that experience amazing for them and I can teach my staff to do that, I'm also going to get recommendations or referrals. Right, I'm gonna be able. I'm gonna, I'm able and to be entitled to ask for that, which most people in business do a horrible job of asking for referrals. They just they just don't do it. I mean, they're just terrible at it, which is the best way to build a business, right? But you have to go into that interaction with the customer, making a promise, and this is the promise every single one on my team makes in the third sentence of a conversation of someone getting a quote from our agency is my biggest goal in this conversation is to impress you so much that you feel comfortable sending me your friends, family, neighbors, and people that you work with. And it's just a statement that I'm going to start every conversation off with because when I put that out into the universe yeah. to that customer, I'm setting an expectation that they can expect excellence and greatness from me. And then in the end, I'm going to ask them. So man, here's the moment of truth. Jeff, on a scale of one to 10, one being you never ever want to talk to me again, and 10, you let me babysit your kids. Hmm. How'd I do? Yeah. And then you say, Tim, man, I really, really appreciate that so much, Jeff. I would love to work with people just like you. If you have any friends, family, neighbors, people you work with that care about taking care of their family just like you did today, I would love to call on them and see if I can help them. Pull out your cell phone and tell me the top 10 people you talk to and see who I can help. Who's the first person that pops in your head, Jeff? And then I'm going to call that person. So, I mean, that's how you build a business, right? If you can, if you go into a business knowing that I'm going to say my biggest goal and you know, I'm going to ask every single customer for a recommendation, you're going to treat every single interaction more than just a number or a person coming in. So I think that's what I figured out in business is the human interaction. It's got to be different than every interaction. And, and think about this. If you treat every single human being like that in your life, even if it's not business, Imagine what would happen. Imagine if you start any type of business, people are going to know you as a human being and as a person that you're trying to help. I mean, you know, you and I both have a podcast. How much money are you making off this podcast? Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, no more. We than, don't do it for the money. We're doing we're it to help jo- We're not Joe Rogan. I'll just say that. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're, what did he get? A $20 million contract from uh, 100. Spotify? 100. 100. Yeah. Yeah. 100. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you're exactly right. And, and, and almost two years ago, I started a YouTube channel with the same intent. It's just how much value can I give? And I love what you said. You said it's not a commodity if you're having value driven conversations. And I think that that's not just a statement about the insurance business. That's anybody listening to this can take what you just said and apply it to anything that they're trying to do. And it may sound old fashioned. It may sound passe. It may sound, Oh, well that's how it was back then. And now everything's so fast paced and nobody's paying attention. BS people are paying more attention now because compassion and connection and empathy and humanity is less common now than it was when, when things were slower. And so when they find it, it stands out. And I yeah, love it. Right. Imagine if a real estate agent, the first thing a real estate agent says, says, listen, my biggest goal in this interaction with you and buying this home impresses you so much that you feel comfortable telling every single person you know about me and that I can help everyone buy their house. Like that's my biggest goal that you could tell all your friends, family, neighbors, people you work with. And then at the end of the interaction at the closing table, Hey, so man, it's moment of truth. Scale one to 10. You know, you could, you could, just like you said, you could apply it to every single conversation and what you do, like what I talked about earlier. Like if, if you are going to tell everyone what your expectations are, right. And you put it out into the universe and you announce it and you say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you can expect from me. Because we're so ego-driven and we don't want to look back. Because I used to think, I always used to say this, you know, and I, and I look back on I'm like, God, I want to crawl under a table with all the people that I said this to. But I always used to say, man, I'm a man of my word. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'll die doing it. And what I realized is I'm a man of ego. The only reason I'm a man of my word is because I didn't want to look bad by not doing what I said I was going to do, right? Because now people are going to judge me and I'm, they're going to be, oh man, he said he was going to do this and he did that. That was really the only, so I'm not some big angel. But what I did is I flipped the script. So if I know that about myself, now I'm going to leverage it against myself and tell everybody what I'm going to do because then I have to live into it. It's a commitment. It's accountability. And that's how I just you know, kind of, kind of, you know, brain screw myself and say, listen, all right, I'm going to tell everyone because I'm going to, you know, I'm committed, right? Once you tell people you're committed, there, there's no out of it because then they're going to be like, Hey, so tell me, you said you're going to start that business. Um, you know, that doing this, like, how's that going? Well, you know, I decided that it might not be a good man. You were super excited about that business. Like what happened? And then they're going to walk away and be like, man, this guy's just full of crap. Yeah. He's always talking about doing this and that. He never follows through on anything. So that's the, that's the reason I leverage. And again, it's just, it's just psychology against yourself because we will, we will very, very easily not do something when it's a promise to ourselves. But if we, if someone else we have an expectation from, and they, man, we're, we are angry I and mean, it'll ruin friendships. Like you told me you were going to do this and you didn't do it. And you didn't follow through. Like look in the mirror. How many times have you said that to yourself? How many times have you said you're going to do something and you didn't do it? Yeah, why, why are you tolerating things from yourself that you would never tolerate from your friend? Because you didn't tell anybody. Have you, read, uh, have you read Influence by Robert Cialdini? That book? No, I haven't, but I, uh, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, so, so in it, he has the six principles of persuasion. And, um, you know, 
see if I can name them, reciprocity, uh, liking, commitment and consistency, social proof, scarcity, and uh, there's one other. I, I, even, I, I forgot. I blanked on the on my own uh, core values. So on feet, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that, that's great. I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to steal feet, man. That's, that's tremendous. Um, but, but anyway, the, the reason I reference it is one of the principles is commitment and consistency. And it's about the human desire to be perceived as consistent with our commitments. And, you know, it's kind of the idea that like, if you want to quit smoking, update your Facebook status to say, just smoke my last cigarette. And mm, now the whole yeah. world is watching, right? Is it, yeah. you know, it's, it's what you're saying. Yep, yep. And, and this is in the book, it's about how you persuade other people. You get them to commit and then their desire to appear consistent will keep them behaving in a way that you have now, you can now predict, you know, based on your sales objective. And, that, and that's cool. I mean, that's, that's kind of a superpower, right? But I love what you're saying. It's like applying it to yourself. What's more powerful than you, you having and creating your own success, you know? Yeah, if you, if you nothing- use it to sell somebody something else, you, congratulations, you want a transaction. If you use it to sell yourself. You've grown. You've changed your, yeah, you've changed your yeah. life, right? Um, no, that, that's super powerful. Um, and, and, and again, to just kind of like put a bow on that point, if people are thinking that they, ha- they don't have the resources or they don't have the credibility or the credentials or the track record to differentiate themselves in a market, you don't ever have to worry about being mistaken for everybody else or lumped in with the crowd if you are authentic, sincere, and, and, and unapologetically yourself in, in, a for, in, a, in a way that shows caring and, and you know, serv- service, right? Yeah, find a way to bring value. I mean, that, that's what people want. They want value. They want, they want, they want to see that you're different. And it's, you know, and I say this and it, it sucks because a lot of people listening might take it wrong, but most people are terrible. Most people are not willing to do that, what it takes. The, that's why the word average yes. exists to encompass well, an average is terrible. people. Right. Average is terrible. Like, oh. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm, for me, I don't want to be average. Like when I hear average, I mean, because, so I have a process when I interview and if somebody asks me, so what does the average salesperson sell or make? And I'm like, um, so are you planning on being average? Red because I'm not, looking, I'm not looking for average. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking for exceptional. Like I wanna know, like what would I need to do to double your best person? Like that's the question you should yeah. be asking in an interview is, what would I need to do to double the best person in your organization or triple the best person in your organization? What would that take? You know, and another thing for people listening that are thinking about building a business is you should always be every month going in to your boss's office if you're, think, if you're learning to how to become an entrepreneur and asking them what it would take to run their company. What do I need to do to run your company? What do I need to do to run your company? Like, what do I need to do better? Like, keep asking that question of how I need, because if you want to run or own that company, ask how you do it. Like, what do I need to do? Because this is what I will tell you. Anybody that owns a company would love for someone to come in and run their company better than they can. Anyone, right? And if you find that and you can do that, that's how you make money. And I always tell people this too. Like if you want to whatever, so write down on a piece of paper what you want to make. My dream is to make half a million dollars. You need to work like you're making a half a million dollars right now. Even if you're getting 50 or $100,000, what you need to work like, your work ethic 
should match half a million. The only way you're going to get to half a million, a million, 500 million, you have to work like that right now. Don't wait until you make that because you're never going to make it. No one's going to give you that opportunity. No one's going to recognize you. But if you're making 100 and you're acting like you're making 500, then you're going to get to 500. That's how it's going to happen. No other way. No one's going to say, well, you've been doing your job. You've been, you know, I've been paying you 100. You've been giving me 100. We're going we're gonna to promote you to $300,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah, do, doing your job is no justification for increasing your income. <laughs> yeah, right. right. It's just you're, you're essentially you're 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 yeah, you're not you're being average. unfair to your employer because you're at least doing what you were paid to do, but you're not doing any more. Correct. Right. People think they should get a raise. I'm doing my job. Wow. You want me to give you a trophy? Yeah. Here's a participation trophy. Yeah, it's so, it's so powerful what you're saying. And, and, and I think the, you know, this, this is why mentorship and modeling and, and being very careful about what you let into your world and into your headspace is so important because somebody might say, but I don't know what it looks like. You know, I don't know what I'm, how, I'm, how I would work if I made $500,000 a year. Okay, well, go find somebody who makes $500,000 a year doing what you're doing and see what, see what their, their life looks like and then start doing that now. And if you say, but there's nobody to in my industry that's doing $500,000 a year, then okay, you have a choice to make. Either you're going to raise the bar on your entire industry or maybe you're in the wrong industry. Yeah. And that's a, such a great point, Jeff. I mean, you know, <laughs> I love that you raised that up. Like just because someone hasn't done it doesn't mean you can't do it. Like there's a way, there's a way to figure out how you can be the top in the industry. I mean, my, my wife just started in network marketing seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And she is number one in a company with 200,000 people in it in seven months because she does what it takes every single day. And she doesn't have a cap. She doesn't have an example. She is the example. And that's what I tell people is be the example. Don't, don't, and, and you know, listen, go work for free for somebody. Like somebody that's making half a million dollars a year say, you know, is there any way I could shadow you? Like, are you working in the office from five to nine o'clock at night? Cause more than likely they are, they're building a business. Right. Like I'm going to get off at five. Do you mind if I come shadow you? Do you mind if I go do some work for you? I, you don't have to pay me. I just want to learn. I want to learn from you. I mean, when you go to college, you have to pay to go to college. You understand that, right? You sit in a class, you're working and you have to pay 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year to go learn from a professor. You can go learn from somebody really, really successful for free Mm -hmm. and people don't think about that and depending on i mean there's a few vocations where your professor is likely to be a world-class expert at the practice you know i think if you go to harvard medical school the cardiology instructor is probably also a world-class cardiologist i I kind of assume correct but in most industries they're not a world-class practitioner of that they're a professor Correct. And it's an either or. And, and, right? and, that, and it's not that it's a bad thing. I mean, but when you get out of college, like what I'm saying is just put 16 hour days in, go yeah. work a job, build your resume, but then go figure out like along the way, how can I, and you just, you just spent eight hours a day and sitting in a classroom paying. You could go sit in a classroom in the real world and not pay and learn a lot Mm-hmm. about where you want to go. And I just think, you know, I had, I had someone that come to work for me for a year and a half for free. He drove an hour and a half each way every single day for an hour and a half, five days a week to learn my business. 
I didn't tell him to do it. He did it and he became one of the greatest in the business because he made the investment. And that's what you have to look at. It's an investment. You know, college is investment of time and money. When you go work and you shadow someone and you're going to actually help them in their business, it's an investment of time, not money. And with the money that you'll make out of that, it will be astronomical. So I, I could not agree more with everything that you're saying. I mean, it's, it, and you know, I, I graduated, it took me 10 years to graduate college with a degree in jazz piano. So that's cool. I would love to be able to play the piano. It was wonderful. I, I had fun. That's why I actually saw it to the finish line, but I was going part-time. Most of my education was coming on at nights when I was actually playing gigs with other you know, musicians. And then I would go back to school the next day and there would be what you learn in the class, which is, which was valid music theory. And, you know, I know what a, I can write out a Phrygian cadence in all 12 keys. And that's probably not something most people even know what I'm talking about, but you don't get paid for that. You get paid if you can play. Right. Right. You don't learn that in the classroom, but. And that's through experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's from, it's from getting yelled at by the, the drummer because you can't keep time. You know, that's, that's when you grow. But, but anyway, so I, I agree, you know, so much with what you're saying. And I'm not a person who's anti-college education, but I am anti the idea that just because you got a college education, you now deserve all that the world has to offer. Uh, but but well, I, if I could switch gears, I actually want to ask you something that I, I did not at all plan to, to bring up in this conversation. But because you mentioned uh, that you talk to people about retirement, you know, this is one of the places where the average conversation can be a really touchy, politically incorrect thing to talk about because the average person when it comes to retirement is basically pretty screwed. I mean, they can't, they're, retire, actual retirement is never even going to be hardly an option for most people based on savings trends and, and demographic data and all that stuff. And so you like offend people when you say that, right? You're like, oh, well, what are you doing? You're, you're 55 years old and you have $20,000 saved? You're hosed, man. Just, you know, prepare to work your way into the grave. Like, there's no option for you. And so, and it's funny, I'm actually working on a course right now inside of my, my company that's called the Millionaire Accelerator course. And it's, it's all just no holds barred financial education, you know, pulling no punches, like the real stuff that, you know, business people need to, or all people need to hear. Um, but I'm curious, how do you, talk to people about edu about retirement given that it's such a it's such a hard conversation to have authentically with people because most people are so far behind and they're so misinformed or or, or just almost like they just have their head in the sand about it and, and again i realize i'm taking a total left turn with our conversation no 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 i think it's it's it, this is this is my arena man this, this is where i love to i love to speak about and i think it's really important um you know on your podcast to talk about this. So I, I, I take a different spin on this with my customers to get them engaged in a conversation. Okay. And, you know, I ask people some simple things and I like to talk about some things to get them thinking. So I'm going to go through them quickly. So the first thing that I train my staff and my um, financial specialists to ask is, I, you know, before we get started, what I'd really like to know is what are your, do you know what your two most important numbers are? And we can role play if you want, Jeff. So, sure. you know what your two most important numbers are? I mean, I would assume that's my, my monthly cost of living, my number that I need to be okay on an ongoing basis. And then there's the total amount that I need to have in assets in order to supply that number. 
Okay, so very, very close. Most people don't know the answer to that question, so it's you were close. Okay. But the two most important numbers is when do you actually want to retire? What age? Okay. Is it 55, 60, 65, 70? Like how many years do you have left working? So if you're 40 and you want to retire at 55, I've got 15 years. So it just, it gives me a base to work from, right? So the other number is how much money do you need in investment, savings, annuities, CDs, whatever it is to thrive in retirement? So I, I want to ask you another question, Jeff. So do you, would you like to pay more or less taxes when you retire? less that seems pretty straightforward so so most people yeah most people say that and the reason that that's the reason i asked this question jeff is because if you're going to pay less taxes in retirement that means you're going to make less in retirement so would you like to make less in retirement than you make while you're working your tail off or do you, would you like to plan to make more in retirement because no i'd, I'd like to pay more yeah or, yeah or so if, if i yeah so if i could show you a way to pay more taxes but also make more in retirement would you be interested in the conversation yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so now, now I've got you listening, right? Because, and now I've got calculators that's going to help me figure up based on what your financial situation is right now, based on inflation and everything. When you retire at 65 and we're going to plan to 85, at least you're going to need that amount of money to be able to thrive in retirement. Because one thing that happens in retirement, Jeff, that you have, that you don't have when you're working is time. And when you have time, you spend money. You go see your grandkids, you play golf, you want to have lunches with your wife. So you're going to spend more money. So you want to make more money in retirement. So it's, a, it's really important that we have this conversation, right? So let me ask you another question, Jeff. Do you know the difference between rich and wealthy? I would say that wealthy people are able to keep producing income without actually trading their time or direct effort. Very good, Jeff. Very good. Most people don't know that either. So the rich is somebody that makes a lot of money, but spends a lot of money. Mm-hmm right? Wealthy is someone that their assets pay for their liabilities. So every single financial decision that they make in their life is based on, can my my assets pay for my liabilities? If I'm going to buy a bigger house, buy a bigger car, do my assets pay for that? Or do I have to go into my income? Because wealthy people do not spend any of the money that they make. It goes in hundred percent into assets. Mm-hmm. And then every financial decision from there. So would you rather be rich or would you rather be wealthy? Because when you quit working, it stops coming in. Right. Money. When you retire and you quit working, what happens? The income stops. So whatever you have is what you have to live off of. So we want to make sure you're wealthy in retirement. So that's kind of how I get people engaged in the conversation because people, it, it's a funny thing because people don't like to talk about money and they don't like to talk about death, right? It's just two things. Like most marriages break up over what? Yeah. Money. Right. right. People just are not comfortable talking about money, but most people don't know what that number is. And if I can give you a peace of mind and say, Hey, Jeff, we've got to put $2,500 away a month for the next 25 years for you to retire at 65 years old. And this is where we got to invest the money. This is where we got to put the money so that it grows to that point And you can able, you're able to retire because you want to have a peace of mind between the age of 45 and 65. Cause if not, you're gonna have a stroke, a heart attack, or you're gonna create cancer because you're gonna be worrying about money like that. That also causes all these problems. So that's how we have a financial conversation with folks, which is way different than everyone else, right? Everyone else in my industry leads with products. And then they try to give you some solutions and they don't even know what your problem is. They don't even know, like, Hey, we can set you up on an annuity and you can put away $300 a month. And you know, I'm going to dig in. You got a 401k. What's the value of it? What's it going to be in 20 years? You got an IRA, what's the value of it? What's it going to be in 20 years? Based on conservative 
with growth because we don't know if COVID-19 is going to hit. We don't know if COVID-36 is going to hit. I mean, we have no idea. We cannot predict the future. There's no certainty. But what we can do is set up some vehicles that will get you there for the most part. Now, it could be better. It could be worse. But at least we're talking about this. Con- mm-hmm. or at least we're having this conversation. So it's a great question. Not many people ask these types of questions. And that's why we're in the problem in the situation that we are in America, you know, because when something like 2008 happened, you know, people were getting ready to retire and 60, 70% of their portfolios were gone. Yeah. Right. And now they're in, they're, they're in financial despair, you know, so we have to have these conversations and they're uncomfortable. And that's the thing about life. Like if you don't get uncomfortable every single day of your life, you will not grow and you will not be better period. Like if you're not going to have the uncomfortable conversation with your wife, about what bothers you. You're not gonna grow and you're not gonna stay married. Mm-hmm. Like it, it applies to everything in life. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and having these conversations and talking about money and, and I got $30,000 in the bank. Man, I can't believe I got 30,000. Because people don't want to talk about it because they're ashamed. Yeah. Like I'm 50 years old and I got you know $150,000 in the bank. Well, the and and, you, and you just said those two numbers as an example of somebody who has a problem. But in my experience, most people at 50 who have 150,000, they think they're doing great. They'd be like, why are you using that as an example, man? That's, I worked hard for that. And it's like, have you, it's all just math. Yeah, so if you do $150,000 at a, you know, a pretty good return of 6%, that's around $9,000 a year that that's going to put off. Yeah. Can you yeah, live off $9,000 a year? Like, I mean... That's, that's not a lot of money. Like, you know, even if you have a million in the bank, that's 60,000 a year at 6% return, which you might not get 6%, right? I mean, you could get 10%. That's a hundred thousand dollars a year, but what are you making right now? I mean, if you've got a million dollars in the bank, you're probably making a hundred thousand, 120,000, 130,000 and you saved, right? But, you know, you, so when you go into retirement in 20 years, that million dollars is putting off a hundred thousand from 20 years from now. That's like 50,000 today. Yeah. Right. Cause the value of money is going to go down it's with inflation. So you need to make like 250, 300 a year to live the same exact way that you're living today. And, but again, it's some people, they just, they don't want that information, right? So that's why people don't go to the doctor. They don't want to know how sick they are. Yeah. Right. They're scared to hear the news and people are scared to hear how financially sick they are. And it's tough in my business because I want to have those conversations with every single person. But some people are like, ah, I don't have time. Right. You know, they, don't want, they don't want to share that information. And, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse. Because Social Security, I'm going to tell you right now, 25 years from now, it's not going to exist. Mm-hmm. Right. People are banking on making, you know, the $25,000 a year in Social Security to be able to get by. It's not going to exist. Our economy is not going to sustain But, but even if you do make $25,000 a year, you know, project inflation over 25 years, $25,000 a year is going to be like yeah. $10,000 a year. Yep. yep. And so... So you, you, I don't know that I knew it at the time because I just kind of just went on a whim to, to ask you about this. But I, I think what, what makes sense to tie this back is the conversation about excellence. You know, in most professions or industries or even businesses, you have to be excellent to be generating, let's call it 250K to 500K a year plus. You know, if you're netting take-home three or $400,000 a year, you're probably excellent at what you do. And there's probably a relatively, unless you're a, you know, a, a, well, I was going to say, unless you're a professional baseball player, but if you're a professional baseball player, you're excellent at baseball. So, so there really are no exceptions. 
And so the, what we're actually saying is literally at the level of basic personal financial math, the only way that you will end up okay is to be excellent. Because if you're just okay now, you'll be broke when it's time to retire. Dead broke. De dead broke, yeah. You'll be working, you'll be greeting at Walmart until you literally keel over and die. Or you'll be moving in with your kids. Yeah, or, or you'll be settling for whatever, you know, Medicaid or Medicare, whatever can... Well, I, don't, I don't even know because I, I, I have no reliance in my life on government programs. So I don't even know. What and I know, I know the podcast is not exactly about that, but that's the problem, right? So oh, it is, the, by the, the way, wait, my podcast wait. is millionaire secrets. This is exactly okay. what this is about. Okay. So, so this is what's happening in our world, this vicious cycle, right? So we, as, as young adults, we have kids, you have four, I, I found out, which is, yeah, four which kids. is a, a large number of children in, in 2020. Um, not not in Utah standards, but in you know America standards, I think the average household is two, which four is a lot. I would I would love to have four kids, but you know we save for college, we take care of our kids, we give them the best life possible. So we're not unless we're uber successful, we're not saving a lot of money in these years, mm -hmm. right? So because we got to take care of our kids, then we're going to put them through college, right? So now we're 45, 50 years old. We got 15 years to take care of our retirement. We don't have enough money. So then what happens is what you just said, you go live with your kids. Guess what? Now your kids are taking care of you. So now money is taking care of you. Then they're taking care of their kids. Like you can't get out of this vicious cycle because everyone's taking care of themselves because they didn't take care of themselves when they were growing up and taking care of their kids. And, you know, we don't learn anything mm -hmm. about money in high school, college, like, this is what I always say about high school. When you're in ninth grade, they should give you $100,000 of fake money, and you got to double that money in four years. Mm -hmm. And they got to teach you how to do it. You got to make the right decisions, kind of like Monopoly, right? You're going to play Monopoly for four years in high school and learn how to manage money. None of that's in high. I mean, we're learning about Christopher Columbus coming to the United States in 1772 or whatever year that he came across, right? I, that information is going to do absolutely nothing for you out into the real world. But if you knew how to budget, how to manage your money, how to invest your money, learned about real estate, like those are the types of things that we should be learning in school so that we get out and we have, we can break this vicious cycle that we're in of taking care of one another, because that's just how it is. I mean, you're not going to not let your parents move in with you, but that costs you money. It right? does. And it's a downward spiral because you were already behind and then your parents move in and now you're further behind which means your kids are going to end up taking care of you in a worse situation. Correct. Well, that's the thing. You pay for your kids in college. You put them through college. Then around that time, your parents get old. Then they move in. So now you've got another 15 years of taking care of your parents or paying for a facility for them to live in because they didn't save well and they need to be in a facility to be taken care of because of the health and all this other stuff. Then guess what? Now your kids are paying for you. You know, your kids are paying for you. Your kids are paying for you. And it just, it's so... It's just, you know, your podcast is great because we need to educate people about money. You know, same, same thing. And, I, and I'll, I'll say one, one other thing about like uh, mortgages. I have a completely different strategy when it comes to mortgages and real estate. Um, I, I never, ever, I put as little down on houses that I buy. I will never own a house outright ever. Because if you imagine like the bank, you know, most of my mortgages I've done is 10% down, even on big mortgages. Um, because I have great credit and if you think about it, if I put 20% down, basically in essence, what I do is I take that 20% and 
And if you could visualize a mattress, I know a lot of people can't see it. Visualize a mattress and you put it up and I put that 20% under the mattress of my home. And if I live in that home for 10 years, that money just sat under my mattress mm -hmm. for 10 years and lost money. Yeah, lost value. So, so lost value, right? So, so equity in a home, true equity in a home is when you sell it. Mm. What I bought it for, what I sell it for. Not, not the equity that you have in the house from principal that you paid in the house and the 20% down that you paid in the house. So a house is never, ever, ever an asset. It's always a liability, always, because you're paying taxes, interest, and maintenance. Even when you own it outright and you don't owe the bank anything, you're still paying taxes and maintenance on the house. So it's always costing you money. The only time it doesn't cost you money, and then that principal that you have in the house you can't, you don't have access to it. I got to sell my house or refinance it. And then I'm based when I refinance it, who knows what the rates are, right? So now if I refinance it, I may be paying 7% or 6% or 5%. Like I just got a house for 3%. Like that's free money. Right. I get to write off hundred percent of the interest, right? So I, I, that, that's the only write-off that the government gives us every year. That's the biggest write-off, right? So why would I pay my house off and not take that write-off? So that's, that's my philosophy on buying houses. Like I always do interest only and as little down as possible because we're really just renting our house. Like what happens? You buy a big house and then you downsize and then you go buy another house. You know, so why put all this money in the house? Like I'm going to make money when I sell it. That's when I'm going to make money. I'll, sh I'll share. I won't even buy my house. I rent my house. I own investment properties. I'm happy to take mortgages out on those and let somebody else pay them. I won't, I won't buy my house. I, I have a you know, nice, nice house and I love it and I rent it. And people think, people think that's weird. I think the other is weird. Why would I even want to put 10% under a mattress yeah. and let it yeah. decay over time, right? Yeah. Um, the only, the, so it's a, you know, I know Grant Cardone talks about this too, but my, my only strategy is I've always made money on houses. So even right. when I put 10% in, like I'm all, I'm always, I always buy them right. So I get to write off the interest, right? So it's, it's, it's a write off that, you know, on my income that I need. And also I always make sure I buy it right so that I can make three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on the back end. And it's, to me, I look at buying a house that I live in because of the write-off and I, I, you know, if I make $500,000 on the house, I don't have to pay taxes on it. Right. right? So I, I look at it as an option. So when I buy options, I trade options, I can buy a, a, the same stock at 10% that the same person is going all in and buying that stock. So I, I, I can take the up and the down just like I do on the stock. So that's the reason I, the way I look at real estate is I'm buying the option to make the upside on that house. Now I right. could take the downside too, but if you buy it, but right, it's real you know, estate. Just, I mean, it's pretty, it's a hard asset, right? Relatively assured of growth over time. At some point, right? Yeah. It's all about timing. It's all about selling it at the right time. But, and what I've, I've actually done the math because I, I got into it once with a bunch of people on social media about Grant Cardone's argument against, we were fighting about what he said, even though I, I actually agreed. And I did the math and there's certain, like Toronto and San Francisco, New York, there's actually places where the economics do work better if you buy. Yeah. It's all about cash in, cash out to me. It's just you want to reduce your living expense as low as possible relative to your desired cost of or standard of living because it's a non-income producing allocation of, of cash. And there's some places it makes more sense to buy and some places it makes more sense to rent. And, and here, I want to say, before we go any further with this, I want to say like, if you were really riveted with this conversation and then all of a sudden we started talking about money and math and retirement and investing and you glazed over, hopefully you're still here. 
you have got to get out of that, that mentality. This, it, like, like I hear people talk, I, there's a term in popular culture. Now, now we're, just, we're just riffing here, but there is a term in popular culture that makes me absolutely insane. When people talk about certain other people being tone deaf, like, oh, that's a tone deaf thing for you to say. I am like, I boil inside. Things are either right or not. They're either true or not. And you, oh, well, there's a recession right now. COVID is hurting some people. So it's tone deaf for you to be talking about financial math. It just makes me nuts because the fact is, if this part of the conversation, the only valid reason for being disinterested in this part of our conversation, I would suggest, is if you're so sophisticated and so successful and so wealthy that you're like, oh yeah, whatever, been there, done that. I'm already, you know, I'm beyond that. But if this is just uncomfortable, it's like you said, man, excellence directly correlates to the ability to consistently tolerate and even pursue discomfort over time. They directly correlate. And we've already proven logically that the only way to actually end up okay is to be excellent now. So therefore, you should actually embrace the discomfort or else you're probably not going to be okay. Yep. Right? Yep. I love, dude, I love it. Conversations just take on a life of their own and, you know, it's, it's, it's so nice. It's so, that's why I love podcasts. Because like, why do you start a podcast? It's this moment right here. Yeah, and you know, that, I, I love podcasts. I can't listen to books when it's just one person reading. I love listening to conversations. I love mm-hmm. listening to perspectives. I mean, that's what I love about podcasts. That's why I want to start it because I think conversations are you know, stimulating to my mind to hear different perspectives. Cause you know, you might agree, you might disagree, but if you take a nugget out of my podcast, you know, our podcasts are usually like this hour, hour and a half. If you take a nugget, then I, I succeeded. You know, like if you learned one thing or you're like, you know what, have a conversation with someone and you debate and you're like, well, maybe part of it's right. Maybe part of it's wrong or whatever. I mean, cause to me, there's no right or wrong. I just have my belief systems from my experience, right? I, I, numbers are numbers. Right. And I, I, you know, like in Miami where I live, you know, listen, this is going to be a state and a city that no matter what, you know, if the market's up or down, it's always going to come back because it's beautiful. It's on the water. It's, you know, so I know my investments are safe here, you know, other places, maybe not like you said, but like here, the same, whatever I buy, the market's always, always, always going yeah. up because, you know, people from Europe want to live here, people from the UK, you know, their, their pound is worth, you know, sometimes double our US dollars. So, if, you know, my house is, you know, whatever, it's half to them, yeah. you know, so I just, I, you know, and I have friends over there that I can market it to and they want to invest over here. So again, I mean, that's the thing, you know, you should, and I think the point is, is whenever you're listening to a podcast, the best way to learn is to be open. You know, don't, don't get so stuck in your way of thinking to where you do blaze over. You're like, you know what, let me listen to this conversation. And I think that's the key to life is to listen and see what you can pull out of a conversation. See what you can, because, you know, I'm reading, I don't know if you've read The Four Agreements, such a good book. Um, and what, have you read The Four Agreements? No, oh, I've had it re- recommended to me probably 10 times. And now it's I'm a great book. Yeah. You, 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 need, you need to read this book. But one, one of the things that, you know, he talks about in there is just making assumptions and, you know, making sure that you don't ever, ever make assumptions and, and how we are domesticated. And it's such an interesting fact, you know, we domesticate our dogs. And sometimes I sit around and I, and I, and I look at my dog and I'm like, I have an animal in my house that doesn't pee or poop. 
that doesn't bite my daughter, that, you know, it's, it's like a human being, but, you know, we domesticate them by training them and putting them in a cage and telling them no and yes, and mm-hmm. you can't do this and feeding them and getting them on a schedule. And what he talks about is <laughs> we're like dogs. We're domesticated from birth by our parents. We're told what's good, what's good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad boy. You know, and so we grow up with these things and we only know that. You know, and so it's hard to listen. It's hard to have an open mind because from birth, we're told these things and we're surrounded by the way our parents did things and, you know, people don't evolve. So I would just say any podcast that you listen to, if you listen to this one, you listen to mine, just be open, you know, just be open to digest something new in your life and don't be so domesticated. Hmm. I I think that's... That's great, great advice, obviously. Uh, also, unfortunately, because this is such an awesome conversation that I suspect we could go on for hours, I actually have an event I'm supposed to, a virtual event I'm supposed to be on in uh, 19 minutes. So, so you mentioned your podcast. Let's maybe talk a little more about that. I want people to, uh, if they've made it this far, I suspect it's because they've loved this conversation and they want to know more about you and, and how they can you know, enter your world. So would you share? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on the Success Paradigm. Um, it's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's on every um, format: Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, uh, and also you can follow me on Instagram, which is J Atkins three J A Y A D K I N S three. The number three. The reason three is it's my favorite number. I do everything in threes. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I do daily posts on there. Usually something inspirational or success or some readings that I've done. Um, and reach out to me. Um, you know, obviously Jeff did, I didn't follow Jeff. He reached out to me and, and found me on Instagram and, and we're, we're here now. And that's, that's a great way to meet people, you know, get uncomfortable, reach out to people, see if you can get some, some information from them or watch them. I mean, there's so many platforms out there to learn from right now. Like just go out there and digest podcasts and YouTube and Ted talks and just, you know, change your life. I always tell people, if you want to change your life, change your way change the way you do things. It's, you can't, you can't change your life if you don't change the way you do things. If you're doing the same thing over, it's, you're, you're going to get the same exact results. So change your way. So, yeah, I, I, I actually think at this point it's the, the continued popularity and prevalence of let's call it, you know, just entertainment for, for entertainment's sake is shocking to me because there's so much content people could be consuming that frankly I think is entertaining, but also enriching. You mentioned TED Talks, you know, just educational channels, social profiles. It, it's almost just a willful, persistent ignorance that people are still consuming entertainment that is not instructive in nature. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm not here to, here to judge. But uh, so let me ask this. If somebody's actually in the insurance business, we didn't even talk about the stuff that you do that's, that's industry focused. But I got to think some people are going to hear this and go, well, I want to, I want to own six agencies in three States and be the number one, whatever, where would those people go for you? So yeah, you can, well, actually our education platform, agency sales academy.com. Okay. Uh, they can go to that website and they can find out about our education platform. And we teach everything there. We don't, it's no holds bar. We teach agents how to be agents, how to train their staff. And then we actually do staff training for team members everything from bringing a brand new person into the business that has no experience whatsoever. We'll get them up and trained in 45 days and producing in your agency and, and be a great um, agent for you. So you can find me there or you, you can find my insurance agency. If you're in North Carolina, Texas or Florida, 
any state really, if you want me to introduce you to a great agent, I, I know uh, hundreds and hundreds of agents across the country. You can go to probestinsurance.com. Uh, that's my agency website. And if you're looking for a job and you uh, want to come in and, and be mentored by me and, and some of the people on my team, I actually have a careers page on there that you can apply for a job. And we're always hiring great people. We're always looking for great people to add to our team. And I know right now with COVID, a lot of people have lost their jobs. I love people in the retail space. I love people in the restaurant space and the service industry because it, they, they do really, really well in our space because that's what we're doing. We're serving people and, um, you know, we're selling them things or cross selling them things or stacking things to sell them and, and building things in their portfolio because that's what they need. And, you know, when people are in a restaurant, they're suggestive selling drinks and appetizers. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great crossover for them. So we'd love for you guys to reach out to me and, and see what opportunity we can have for you. And I appreciate you letting me do this, Jeff. Um, and in the, the conversation went longer. I did, I did have a little brain fart there with uh, fun. I don't know. I was thinking about excellence. I got all excited about it. And then I was just, yeah. just, you know, the thing is, is we're all human, right? So sometimes you just blank and it's okay. And, and I think it's good sometimes because a guy like you that sounds perfect on a podcast, we all can make mistakes and we can all, we're all imperfect. And, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where you're like, God, I just was flowing and all of a sudden just go blank, you know, for a second and then you pull yourself back in. So, you know, that's what life's about. Life is about imperfection and life is about learning um, from your experiences and, and nobody's perfect. So I appreciate you having me on here and, uh, even with my blunder and, and oh. my moment of my core values. So I, I appreciate that. No, this, is, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm actually just booked someone uh, coming up in the next few weeks who wrote a book called The Bezos Letters, which is oh, uh, it's essentially an analysis. Have you read it or you know of it? Oh, I haven't. No, no, it sounds So it's I mean, an analysis of Jeff Bezos's shareholder letters, you know, his quarterly shareholder letters for Amazon. And it's an analysis of like 14 or 15 of them. But one of the, so I've been kind of delving into that and I, I'm a big Jeff Bezos fan anyways, but one of the things I love about Jeff Bezos is he, he literally talks about Amazon having a culture of failure. And that's a pretty strong term. He doesn't just say, oh, we tolerate failure or we don't penalize failure. He says, literally, we have a culture of failure. And, and to not only just like, you know, accept it or apologize for it, like, but to embrace it, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, my guess is, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, that's so we what? can talk. We you could talk about that on a whole other. I, I, I know, I, mean, I know, right? <laughs> I love, I love, I love failure. Um, I, I just because I know it, it's it's the school of hard knocks, right? I mean, if you're if I'm failing, that means I'm doing something because yeah. you're just not. Gonna, I mean, think you know. I always tell people this: it's like when I first started playing golf, I sucked. I still suck, but when I first started playing, I really sucked, right? I mean, and and that's you know, if you think about the first time you ever cooked in your life, you sucked. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you failed, you failed miserably. You didn't do a really good job at it. So failure is you have, it's going to be a part of the process. I mean, you're never going to be good at something that you first try. Matter of fact, Malcolm Bowen says it takes 10,000 hours to become great at anything. Right. I mean, I read this whole entire book to get to the end and he, there, there is, there is no, yeah. you know, special person, right? It's really just, it takes 10,000 hours and you could be born, but you get to that 10,000 hours faster if you're born in January versus but there's, there is, there is no yep. special person on the planet out there. You just have to put the time, energy, effort, and be willing to fail. Be willing to fail and, and, and own it. I failed. And tell everyone, I failed. And this is what I'm going to do next time. I'm never going to fail again. I'm going to, you know, and that's the thing. You know, to, to end this, I know you got to go, but just never make the same mistake twice, ever. Yeah. You make a mistake, you learn from it, just don't do it again. Like, and that's, that's where, you know, when you watch the news and people do stupid stuff, it's like, okay, 
you, you, you idiot. Like mm-hmm. how many times are you going to do that? Like you can't do that. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like the only actual failure is the second failure. Correct. The first one was just knowledge acquisition, right? Correct. Yeah, that's good. That's good. The first one wasn't even failure. The first yeah. one was just, you know, I learned. A lesson. That was, was, was a lesson. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, man, this has been tremendous. I appreciate it so much. I, I'm going to wrap because unfortunately I have this other thing I have to go to, but thank you again. We'll make sure we get all those links from you. We'll put them under wherever this appears. We'll make sure that those links are right there. And just thanks again for your time making this happen. Absolutely, Jeff, man. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Of course. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entre Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entrenation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.